Moving into really, I'm calling it number two, walking in the Spirit on the inside and out. It really began with the message that looked at kind of a reality that we, we really do have to be self-healing. We have to have a quality of our life that is self-correcting. And that really means not that I have the power to heal myself or the power to correct myself, but the Spirit within me as the people of God that quality and capacity has to be resident. It cannot be something that we are dependent on the body of Christ or something external that leads us in the right way toward health. So we have to be a people that on the inside, the Spirit is moving us and challenging us towards health and wholeness and correction all the time. The, the idea is... If I heal a little bit along the way, then I don't need a giant healing four years from now when it erupts in some counseling class at how angry I am. I went to a, uh, a six-month course on kind of an inner healing course, and uh, I, was an, I was a pastor at the time, but I knew there was something wrong with me, um, you know, most pastors, if they have any awareness at all, they realize something is wrong with them. Some, some of us, there are deeply things wrong with us. But in this class, it was truly my hope that I would uh, reveal those things and, and be able to address those things. And uh, for a pastor to join that class, knowing that it requires a fair amount of transparency, uh, those things, and these are people that you're going to be preaching to next Sunday. You know, so um, I would just say that that's how desperate I was to, to find truth. Um, you know, there were three large epiphanies in this six-month course. Uh, the first one was I had a real identity crisis I was not aware of. Uh, the second one is I did not trust women. Um, I probably had some idea of that. I just didn't know the depth of it. But the third one really, really shocked me. And about week 20 out of 26 weeks, I, be, I discovered how angry I was with God. When I say angry, I'm talking violent, cussing, snot-slinging, angry. Um, and, and if you're not aware of that, and that is here, and then, and then it's revealed to you. And who revealed that to me was Jesus. That's who revealed that to me. It wasn't a person. It was Jesus. And, um, and you know, and after that, I, in the middle of this class, uh, was using language I don't normally use to talk to Jesus, um, making somewhat of a spectacle of my life at that moment. But I was really amazed at Jesus' response. You see, he knew that was there all along. All along, he was aware of that. Never did he push me away. He was always drawing me to that truth because, see, he can heal that truth once I'm at a place where I can surrender it to him. So, this is the life we've been called into. It's a life where the Spirit 
has a constant and continual voice which brings life and benefit to each of us personally, very personally. And the result of that is seen in the fruit of the relationships around us. So I get small corrections from the Spirit. Corrections about my attitude, my heart, my thoughts, my understandings, my biases, my experiences. All these things, because all of them left in play become truth that I live by. It, we are moving into a new identity. So these things become paramount for a natural, normal, everyday homo sapien, a human being, to be able to be the supernatural people of God. There has to be a mechanism on the inside that transforms us daily, moment by moment, weekly, Minute by minute, we are in a place where we are being transformed, renewed, challenged, changed, upgraded, updated. All those things are at work. And all of those things are in a context of, as we talked about last week, a people. I want you to hear that. We are a people. I'm not a person. I'm a people. Now, I'm a person. I'm an individual of Jesus. But I have been called to be part of a people. So we have been called, and we have been equipped, and we have been qualified, and we have been empowered to be that people. Now, it's not really an option. God says, okay, and I got a couple of options for you, Bill. You can kind of join the people of God, you know, be one of the people of God, or you could just be a person of God. And, and kind of live autonomously. We'll call you friends of the people of God. You don't really see this palette of options from the Father, but you see that he has an intentionality toward a people that reflect him. And he sees the power and he sees the brilliance of a people that reflect and reveal him. We are a people of God. In our wholeness, we are a people of God. It is not my design. It's not the church's design. It was God's overarching intention and design. So we see that God says, he's going to live with us. I'm going to go and live with them. I'm going to be a part of their story. I'm going to be a part of their life. I'm going to be an on-site God. Living life with them, with their flaws and with their misunderstandings and their biases and in the failed experiences of their life. Yes, indeed, I'm going to be the God that steps into that reality with them. I will live with them. These are guarantees. These are promises. This is life. This is power. And then another power is going to come upon us when the Holy Spirit comes and fills us and we have now this resident potential that in all circumstances of my life, I can be different than just normal. In every circumstance, in every moment, there is no reason, there is no reason why I have to fail once, not one. Years ago, I struggled with an addiction. 
And this addiction was um, debilitating for me. It was, um, it literally controlled every day of my life. And I prayed for people, loved people, ministered to people, saw people get healed, but I wondered about me. It's kind of like, is there something in all that for me? <clears throat> One morning I got up and I had some kind of dialogue like that with the father. And the father makes this strange comment to me. I would like to say, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he made this brilliant comment, but that probably falls into the Department of Redundancy Department for me to think like that. But, but the reality is, here's what the Father said. Uh, Bill, if you don't want to do it, don't do it. It was nonchalant. It was like, don't want to do it, don't do it. And this thought hit my head at that moment. Do I want to do it? It, it all of a sudden became an important question to me. It wasn't even a question a minute ago. Now it is a big question in my head. And I'm thinking about it very seriously. And I thought, I don't want to do it. And then I thought, what he said was, then don't do it. And this voice spoke to me and said, you can say no now, but someday you'll say yes again. Some moment, tomorrow, this afternoon, today, whenever. And it just rang in my head. You know, I might have to make this decision a thousand times a day. But nothing says I have to say yes ever again. And that was the day that addiction died. It died a simple, unceremonial death. At the hands of, no, I don't want to do it. And I feel like what God was saying is, you get to decide. I'll back up your yes. I'll back up your no. I've given you the power to decide. That's what it's like for God to live with man. The simplicity of his story. And don't do it. You don't want to do it, don't do it. The power's right there. You get to choose. So what has changed? With the Spirit within us, with the, God, the Father for us, with a new understanding that we have a, a, a life as a people and a purpose. It says, walking in the Spirit is now a way of life for you. You know, in the Old Testament, it was moment by moment. The Spirit would come and the water would part. The Spirit would come, 
and all the enemy would be blind. The Spirit would come, and these things were happening on an ad hoc basis, an as-needed basis, to influence the reality as God wanted to, to direct this. But it was directing it to something more powerful and more important. We look at the Old Testament like, man, those were the days when things were just, I mean, big, giant uh, uh, miracles were happening. You know, Samson takes the jawbone of an ass and he slays a thousand people. That's a fairly big moment. But it is nothing compared to today. It's nothing compared to where this was taking it to the people of God, you know, 2.0. It was a severe and a significant upgrade. And we became the people that it wasn't the Spirit of God coming down and imparting and being a part of an event. But now the Spirit of God is resident. We are the event. We are the moment. And it's moment by moment every day. And I can say yes every situation for the rest of my life. And I can be the people of God. That's what it says. I'm going to wait for a bigger one than that. Thank you. You know, oh, it's a rabbit trail. Never mind. I have the power to hear, to listen, and to say yes to the Father. And that makes me, in the moment, extremely powerful. Not for me. For what the Father is doing in this life right now. It says, now that I have not only this ability and the power to walk in the Spirit moment by moment, always being able to say yes to the Spirit, always being able to say no to me, or no to something else, or no to anything else, but also now I have the heart and the mind of the Father. He is with me. His presence is with me. His power is with, is with me. He is resident in his spirit within me. I am given his heart. I am given his mind. And now he declares, and I'm calling you an ambassador. All of this is setting you up to be successful, to reveal and to, and to demonstrate and influence my existence, my presence, and my intentions in humanity. You are my personalized billboard of the kingdom of God, the love of the Father, the pursuit of the world. That's what you are. In your smallest denominator, in your smallest moment, when you're locked up in solitary confinement, you still have the power of the whole universe operating within you. It was God's intention to make a spectacle of his people. It was God's intention that you and I would become a spectacle in the world of his intentions, his love, and his power to heal and to save. We have been given, and this is something that's kind of new to me, it, it, just the understanding of it, that the Spirit imparts and is part of a reality of wisdom that not only can confound the world, but I always saw it as kind of showing the world up. 
kind of a one-upsmanship with the world. But I don't see that to be the case. What I see is the wisdom of God is always interested in blessing the world, in benefiting the world, in finding a way to give the world a new way of seeing hope, a new way of seeing reality that, that reflects and gives an image of the Father. It's not so I can have the wisdom of God so I can shut down some argument about God. But it is the wisdom of God that takes it from an argument to a hope. An argument to a, to a belief. An argument to something else that says, maybe God is here for me. Maybe. That's wisdom. How will it look? The characteristics of our life and person will confirm the presence and the influence of the Spirit. That means love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, meekness, gentleness, self-control. Those things will be revealed in the people of God. Also, we will have a, an ability in the, non, in the unseen and the unheard to operate. That means we will be operating on a supernatural level, no matter how natural it might look. So it's, it's not about always parting the ocean or growing out an arm. The supernatural can be very simple. It can be very subtle, but it'll always be important to someone. Last week I shared, our view of people has been altered. It's been changed. We don't see them the way we used to see them. We can't see them the way we used to see them. That's part of the upgrade. I can't look at people and, and, and you know, because God has chosen not to look at me and my flaws, my weaknesses. He doesn't even look at me and my strengths. But he looks at me as in my value that he created in me. That's how he sees me. That's how I can see you. That's what the Spirit would, would empower me to do. Look beyond. You know, we used to do some leadership courses and took some. And part of what we would do is we would talk about people. So what do you see on that person? What do you see on this person? And some of those things would be spiritual insights, and that's good. But we were always really breaking down, you know, they have leadership, they have skill, they have this, they have that, uh, they have good character. So you're really kind of building a resume of some sort. Because that's how we see people. We see a resume for better or for worse. I want to skip the next couple of slides. Go over to rare. As I shared with you last week, rare is an acronym. Uh, it's from the book uh, Rare Leadership. And last week we began the, the message on remain relational. The A stands for act like yourself. R is return to joy. And E is endure hardship well. Remain relational. Just to review these points, relationships have to be bigger than the problems. 
that have to carry more value than what's at stake in the problem. They have to be bigger than disappointments and failure. They have to be bigger than personalities, and it has to be bigger than experiences. Relationships have to be bigger. It is modeled by the Father. Relationship with us to him was worth the pursuit beyond our package, beyond who we are and what we are. How does it affect us? It means how do we engage problems and conflict? Do we shut down? Do we run? Do we fight? Are we defensive, passive-aggressive? We talked about this. What I've added is how do we promote and disqualify? How do we promote people and disqualify? Is it their gifts, their talents, maybe their personality, their appearance? You know, if you're good-looking in the eyes of the world, it'll get you a long way. Are they intelligent? Do they have integrity, character? Do they have passion? Are they sensitive? Do they have social or economic status? You know, if you have a lot of money, you can have a lot of friends. I mean, those things just kind of work together in a lot of ways. You see, how we look at people, all of these things are altered according to the Father. They become altered. And this becomes the old, what we call the normal list and not the abnormal list or the list that we would use as the people of God. Now, it doesn't mean those things don't, aren't important. It doesn't mean integrity isn't important. It doesn't mean that, that people don't have um, flaws that create consequences. It's, it's not about whether these things still have value as information. What it's about is as we, if we're going to be God's representatives and ambassadors, we can't stop there. That, that's not where it stops with us. Relationships are the cornerstone of everything new and powerful in the Father. They are the cornerstone of everything new, everything powerful, everything wonderful. It's about relationship. Our relationship with the Father is restored. And this new role, this substance of this new relationship we have with the Father is now his intention that that would now turn out from the inside and touch humanity around us. So if God gives me this, you know, here's this love and patience with me and forgiveness for me and honor for me is right here and and understanding for me, and he sees value in me, and now I'm holding all of these things that God has given me, and now I'm walking down the street and going and seeing my friends. Hey, how are you? And what God would love is that they would see something different about me. They would see those things that the Father placed on me, toward me, in me, for me. They would see those things. They would see the effect they had on me. Whether I, whether I say Jesus loves me or loves you is do they see in my life the effects of a restored relationship with the Father? 
Are they coming in contact with that new reality? Relationships seem to carry the greatest potential for joy and the greatest potential for heartache. They do. They carry the greatest potential for joy and heartache. When God steps into our life, he takes that balance and he pushes it towards joy. And this power that rescued our relationship with the Father is now working in our relationships. And God wants to produce joy in our relationship this way. And we'll be talking about joy because the next one is return to joy. To me, it's the most powerful part of the rare. It was life-giving to me. And uh, we'll be sharing that uh, probably next week. As I look at this, and I look at Ephesians 1.8, starting in verse 18, we see that this power that rescued is at work now in our relationships. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope which he has called you. The riches of his glory, a glorious inheritance in his holy people. There we are. We're plural again. It's this prayer that you would know the hope which he has called you. The riches and the glorious inheritance and his incomparably great power for us who believe incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father. What he's trying to communicate is this is the level of power that's at work in you and I right now. Let's not act like it can't get the job done. It can't overcome things. It has these limitations of I'm only human. It's not true. Those aren't true according to the scripture. The power that's at work in me is the exact same power that overcame death and hell and the grave and the sin and raised Jesus from the dead and not just raised him up, but all the way to the throne of God. That's the power. I mean, when we sell short that power, we are selling short everything. We're giving up everything to give up that power. God help us that we never again surrender the power that sets us free. That we go for something, you know, almost free or partly free or free most of the time. But that I want to experience everything that power can produce in my life. It's the same power. Raised him at the right hand in the heavenly realms above all rule, all authority, power, and dominion. The power that is at work in you and I is the power that is demonstrated it is more capable than every dominion, every realm of authority, every rule, everything. That's the same power at work in you and I. 
The call is to remain relational. In relationship, the roots of joy and the joy, what you'll learn what the jet fuel of high-performing teams, a high-performing people. It follows that learning to remain relational is a key factor in creating high-performing teams, building healthy churches and organizations. I, I look at this book, actually, it's really less to me about leadership and it's more about me. It's more about my, about what I'm capable of, what I have called to be a part of. This next part, act like yourself, the A. How many of you remember the saying, the bracelets and everything, WWJD? I mean, if you're a little bit older, you'll remember that. You probably got one in your drawer somewhere. Um, uh, you know, and then there was all kinds of variations of that. But what would Jesus do? And it's, a, it's an interesting saying. I, I, I like the saying, um, People that wore those bracelets, I didn't see them very different. That always stuck for me. And, um, but it's a great question. What would Jesus do? It's a great starting place. And you see, act like yourself is kind of along with that. This is out of the book, Rare Leadership. What is it like, me and my people, to do when I feel a certain emotion in other words, what would the person God made me to do, made me to be, do? What would Jesus do? What would the people of God functioning at their best do? Instead of letting my personality dictate how I'm going to respond, or my experiences, or or my temperament, or uh, how tired I am and the fact that I've had too much caffeine or not enough caffeine. You're working on my last nerve. Whatever it is, what would me and my people be like in certain emotions, certain situations? What would we be like if we did exactly what the people of God did when they were functioning at their best. What would I do? What would I be like? And I like the language of act like yourself because you see, as a redeemed person, as a person that all this stuff we've just seen, I've been equipped, I've been called, I've been, I've been um, all these things are working inside me. I am a different person than the person I was. I'm a different person. I'm a new me. The real me is a new me. And what God would say is the person that's screwing up me is not the real me anymore. That's not the real me. We often look at people, oh, you know, well, they, they pray, but you ought to see them, you know, you know, when they're down at Hooters in Houston on Saturdays. You know, we, we, we want to disqualify people. God doesn't look at us that way. He says, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Remember who you are right now. Who are you? He calls us to that. Not to condemn us, 
Not to guilt us, not to shame us, but to encourage us to step in to the close of our identity. I mean, it's a joy to think, okay, Bill, act like yourself. Just be yourself. I don't have to be somebody spiritual I'm not. Just be yourself. I don't have to be like one of you. I, I can just be myself. But the, the self God creating is creating and has created is a pretty incredible self. And now it becomes important that I relearn my responses in life. It becomes important that I relearn them because they're going to be new to me. Myself is new. And so to act like my new self, I, I, got a, I need a different game plan. I was talking to uh, a pastor from Mexico who called me, I think on Monday, uh, just a, a great man in the Lord. And... Um, You know, he called me to see if we were okay. We'd been at the same conference, hadn't really had a chance to talk. He was worried about that. It seemed I was cold toward him. But we were always at a distance. There's 100 people in the room, blah, blah, blah. And, and I missed the last session for other reasons. So I didn't get a chance to say goodbye to anybody. He called me. Hey, Bill, I, I wanted to know if there's something I need to take care of, something I need to ask forgiveness for. Are we okay? He said, sometimes, you know, when somebody doesn't talk to us, we just decide we're not going to talk to them either. And he said, and we act like six-year-olds. I wish it ended at six, you know. I wish we could say that's what six, but I think six-year-olds can often do a better job than many of us. I told him we're really great, but now we're even better. You know, he went to hero status to me. You see, he was acting like himself. That's what he was doing. Isn't that great? I mean, he just called me from Mexico. Hey, are we all right? Well, we were, we were all right before. Now we're great. I'm in awe of the people of God acting like themselves. But it's, it's new. It takes some work. It's, it's new. I'm, I'm having to rethink uh, the Lord is rethinking with me. I mean, I can't tell you how many, you know, hard and fast ideas I've, I've had to, you know, throw under the bus. I, um, I, was, I was critical of Joel Osteen's book, Your Best Life Now. Now, I have to confess, I've never read his book, which would show a bit of hypocrisy right there, wouldn't it? Um, or a lot of hypocrisy, maybe, if I think about it. My contention with the book was that in the Scripture, I see the people of God murdered and tortured. I still see the people of God in service, uh, hungry and, and starving, and the world is a hungry and starving place. And my thought was, 
wow, if this is your best life now, people struggle with diabetes and heart disease and loss of life. And my father was just diagnosed with leukemia. My sister uh, is in a rehab facility. Uh, just lots of stuff going on. I'm thinking, my best life now, this is it? I, I don't think that's what the scripture is selling us. I've changed my mind. I, I'm, and the Lord really said it this way. If you walk with me, you're going to see how your best life starts right now. Walking with me. Living out your life with me. will be your best life, always, starting right now through eternity. Step into your best life, Bill, right now. And I remembered that book, and I thought, and I just felt like the Lord would smile on me. Gotcha. I thought, I know, I know. That's how powerful this life can be when we live it as he has described it here in the Scripture. Act like yourself. There's a line that I think is interesting by Wilder. He says this, Jesus got so angry, he healed someone. So what do you do when you get angry? What do I do when I get angry? In Mark chapter 3, another time when Jesus was in the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there, some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. They watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, not him, but the people, so which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees, they went off to plot to kill him. What's our response? You see, I find that one of my new responses is discomfort. Because I'm... I'll be in a situation and I'll feel the discomfort of saying, I'm not going to choose the old way, but I'm, I'm having to invite the Spirit to check me on the new way. So I'm having to live in some discomfort. Also, Paul, he got so annoyed that he, you know, delivered somebody from demons. Again, you get annoyed with someone, do you step in and, you know, deliver them from demons? I don't know. Acts 16, starting with verse 16. Once when they were going to a place for prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul, the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. 
She kept this up for many days, and finally Paul became annoyed that he turned around and he said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. See, this is just not textbook how this works. This works in the moment. It works whatever God is doing in the moment. And we step into that reality with full authority. And in 1 Corinthians, we see the struggle here with Paul saying, I, I can't address you as people who live by the Spirit, who are living in this new life, as people that are still worldly. He calls them mere infants in Christ. So they're in Christ, all right? But they're not moving in the Spirit. So you can be in Christ and you can have the Spirit, but you're not operating in the Spirit. The Spirit is not high function in all the parts of your personality, your, your experiences, and those things. I gave you milk, uh, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. How does, he, how does he regarding this? How is he coming to this conclusion? Well, he's seeing in their relationships jealousy, quarreling, and he's saying these things are evidence of the absence of the working of the Spirit. Not the absence of the Spirit, but the influence of the Spirit. He says, you're acting like mere humans. So you see, the call to walk in the Spirit is something that is going to set us apart. Is that me? It's my mother. Hold on. Ephesians 4, becoming mature. It says that we're building ourselves up. How are we doing that? We're building ourselves up with one another, both the Spirit working in me and you working in my lives. As the people of God, the building us up, we all reach unity of faith, and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's, that's us, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's, that's the goal. To equip the people for works of service that the body may be built up. What kind of works of service is going to produce this? It's being and the practicing of the people of God. That's what brings the unity in the faith. That's what brings the maturity. It's not handing out clothes or, or leading a worship team. Those things aren't, they can have maturity in them, but they don't dictate maturity. What dictates maturity is are we unified? Are we in the faith? Are we operating in the Spirit of God? And are we doing that more and more? It's becoming a part of who we naturally are. That would be what it's describing 
is the fullness of Christ. So we work together, creating and working in to this new identity, this new person that is me, so that I can act like myself. We, we work to engage others for their good. We see the community as having value to encourage, engage one another, challenge one another, love one another, forgive one another. These things and, and the time that we come together, it's calling all of these things important. And then finally in Colossians 3, starting in 13 through 15, Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive. So we get to see the Lord's intention here as he lavishes, us, lavishes on us the things that we desperately need to be qualified, to be valued, to be important. He lavishes those things on us that we would have that to lavish on others, that they can be validated and qualified. And, and I, I, I'm aware, I, I can feel it myself, I know that some people shouldn't be validated in who they are as far as their lifestyle, some things like that. But this is not about that. This is about validating people as valuable to God. It, and that's what the Spirit brings to all that is how to navigate those what-ifs and yes-buts. The what-ifs and the yes-buts are of the natural world. The Spirit is the thing that can take the yes-but and bring life from it. I, I couldn't do that for you. As your pastor, I would have, yeah, you're right, you know, uh, She's this, he's that. But the Spirit knows how to speak and what to say. The Spirit makes the difference. I mean, you think about it with Jesus. The lady at the well. If you remember the story, Jesus says, uh, you know, you've been married like five times and the man you're with is not your husband. So she's living with a guy. He didn't call her to repentance. He doesn't say, and you know, really everybody marveled he was even talking to a woman. He was already outside the box having this conversation. But you see, he focused on things the Spirit was focusing on. But if we were just taking the Bible and we're looking at this woman, we would start quoting verses about you know, marriage and monogamy and things like that. But that's not where the Spirit was focusing. Or the women, the woman was caught in adultery. Only the Spirit would come up with the line. So uh, let the one, you know, who is here without sin, let you can throw the first rock. What a brilliant line. It doesn't deny Sin, it doesn't condone sin, but it goes after how are you going to deal with a sinner? We have the power to operate like that, to say the things 
that, the wor- that checks the world and brings them a step closer to the Father. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of, that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. This is the new me. Act like myself. So, I'd like to be known as the person who can make allowances for others' faults. That I can forgive when you offend me. That I will clothe myself in love because that will help others around me. And connect me with others in a harmony. And that the peace that Christ brings to me will be a ruling power in my heart. That's, that's the real me. So I want to act like myself. And, um, and, you know, perhaps you know me as someone who has not acted like myself. And I'm, um, I invite your patience and love for me. Um, but this is the people of God. I find them amazing. I find them powerfully interesting to me. And I want to be this person all the way, all the time. I invite you to stand.